0: Today we're talking about skills for finding new business, the importance of playtime in relation with work time, and how to separate an average trainer from a phenomenal one. Welcome to episode 26 with Todd Falcone. You are listening to Len Jones' Party of Two, where experts and influencers speak honestly and openly about their keys to success. Sponsored by TrueFace.ai, where your face is the key. For more information on TrueFace, please contact your host at ian@trueface.ai. Now, pay close attention cuz you gonna learn today. Oh, what up, what up, what up, and good morning. The sun is shining out here in Santa Monica, California, and serving as a reminder to appreciate the little things. I feel we are always on this constant search for happiness and fulfillment. Fulfillment at our jobs and feeling valued for what we do. Fulfillment from our friends and family through feeling loved and appreciated. And fulfillment for our overall purpose. What legacy are we leaving the world? What impact will our lives have on others? What are we gonna do with this microscopic burst of time where we exist and have the chance to reach up and and make move? These are the questions that muddle my mind all the time and every birthday that goes by, they become more and more pressing. So what I want you to focus on today is learning to appreciate the little things that will bring you so much more joy and happiness into your life. And if you're new to the podcast, our mission here is twofold. educate aspiring entrepreneurs by dissecting the come-up stories of incredible humans by extracting the golden nuggets that you can apply now to better your life. And second, to have all of my friends in my life that are making moves. To me, my other friends in life making moves to create one giant community of extraordinary people. And speaking of seeking a life of joy and fulfillment, our guest today, Todd Falcone, embodies that work hard, play hard mentality. I love how he goes into how important playtime is. We frequently find ourselves as adults, caught up in always working and doing the mundane that we don't schedule time to do what we love. A weekend with the boys fishing, road trip to the local ski mountain, an Airbnb in a new city, things that build memories and everlasting friendships. So Todd Falcone is an incredible trainer inside the direct sales profession. I've heard about him so much through friends in the industry, so it was really cool to finally connect. Todd regularly conducts training events, conference calls, and webinars in front of tens of thousands of people and has spoken now in over 25 countries for audiences all over the world world he is the president of reach for success llc and is the author of several powerful training programs and books including little black book of scripts fearless networking insider secrets to recruiting professionals how to win in the game of prospecting and cracking the code to success in network marketing so if i were to define todd after this podcast of of a quote that embodies him instead of straight shot no chase i would label todd as being straight shot no fluff towards everything that he does. On today's episode, Todd speaks about how to avoid the common pitfalls people make when starting a business, creating consistent content and meeting deadlines, learning to prospect and recruit your way out of any decline, and qualities you should look for in a trainer and leader. And so if you find some brain berries in this podcast that provide real value, I'd love for you to take a screenshot and tag my Instagram at Len Jones so I can feature in the story. So without further ado, let's jump in it. We're here with the man, Mr. Todd Falcone. You know, you're a legend, dude. I've heard your name so many times through our mutual acquaintances, and it's really great to finally see you. How are you? I'm doing great, man. How you doing? Doing good. Living the dream. Living the dream. And uh, tomorrow's a big day. Tomorrow's your birthday. Are you stoked? Uh, yeah, I get to hop on a plane and fly to Orlando
1: and do a leadership training. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, that seems to be kind of like the dream lifestyle for someone of yourself, you know, like being able to travel the world, helping people and training people. Did you kind of always know that you wanted to do that? No, not,
1: not <laughs> at all. I uh, I kind of stumbled into the training side. I got, got introduced to network marketing right out of college and, you know, had a very successful career in the field as a distributor. And I had spent 11 years with a particular company that went out of business. And some guy called me up and asked me to speak at an event. And I was like, what do you want me to speak about? He's like, dude, just come and talk about how you build your business. I'm like, oh, okay. So I did. And then I did another one and then I did another one. And then next thing you know, it was my business. So uh, it's funny because a lot of people want to become a coach or a speaker. I would, that was like literally not even on the radar, not even close. I'd never even, it had never even crossed my mind to be a speaker or a trainer, um, I mean, I was doing trainings for the network marketing company on conference calls and stuff, but I I was never like, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be on the platform speaking all over the world and teaching people how to do this. I was never a part of the plan, but it is the plan today. It's awesome.
0: That's awesome. You fell into it. You know, the theme that we talk about all the time in this on this podcast is for those people out there right now that are really looking to make a big move in their life, you know, taking that first step to push them to do what they really wanna do, that's they've been itching to do, but something holds them back to do. Um, a lot of times you just got to go with the go with the flow and, and just keep making moves. So, Todd, can you kind of walk us through like early life, like we're talking like fresh out of college? Hey, like what's did you go to college? I did, yeah. Uh, grew up in Seattle, Washington area, and
1: then I moved to Long Beach, California. Actually, graduated in Long Beach from high school, and then uh, ended up uh, going to Long Beach State. Got my degree in marketing and. Was going to about ready to do like the whole career fair fair thing. And in fact, I was going through career fair and trying to going up to the tables. Hey, what's this job? Check this out. And right around that same time is when I got introduced to network marketing. I had a guy. He called me up. And it's so funny because this is almost 30 years ago. And I can remember word for word what he said. He called me up. I said, hello. He goes, hi, is Todd. And I said, yeah, this is Todd. He goes, hey, hey, Todd, this is Jim. I'm calling you from Orange County Marketing. We're a marketing company. We're looking for people that can train and manage others in the expansion of our company we want to talk to. And I thought, oh, my God, they're hunting me out. This is awesome. I don't even have my diploma yet. Maybe Professor Harding said something good about me or something. right?" And uh, so I put my my one suit on that I bought at the May company that was probably a $150 suit that it was so funny. If you took, if you held the pants up in the air and then you let go of them, they'd almost stand on their own. Cause it was like so thick, <laughs> but it was so crazy. Cause I was like living in, in Long Beach. I remember how uncomfortable the, I could probably ski in those things that, you know, they're probably like wool or something, put my <laughs> clip clip on tie on. And I drove to Irvine, California to what I thought was a job interview and ultimately got introduced to
0: network marketing and have been in it ever since. So how old were you? Uh, 22. Did you know what network marketing even was, or were you just kind of like... Nope.
1: I had never heard of it. Didn't know what it was. Didn't have a friend that tried one of them, their things. Didn't have a family member. I had no clue what it was. So I went in there with a totally clean slate, and I didn't have any baggage. Like I think a lot of people have baggage around it. Maybe somebody approached them about something, and they were super pushy or they know they, they they have hearsay that somebody of somebody that they knew of somebody that they knew tried one of something, and they never and they never succeeded at it, even though they know nothing about it, which is so typical. People are down on the things that they're not up on, and I just went in there. I was like, gosh, this makes a lot of sense. I mean, you can um share this product with people and make a retail profit and you could build a team and you can earn a percentage on everything that the entire team does i'm like what the heck's not to get about this this makes sense this is
0: brilliant did you just crush it you're a top leader you just absolutely smashed or do you feel like you went through a lot of pitfalls in the beginning were there any like typical young 20s lessons you had to learn the hard way yeah i was a
1: stupid young kid i mean i had uh uh no i was not a rocket ship i i I, you know, I came in with really high expectations because I you know the the way network marketing is often presented, and it I mean, it should be because it's good is is there's huge possibilities and huge potential. and way bigger than typical um most jobs would would typically provide, not all, but I mean, you know it's it's very, very different, the kind of earnings that can be made when you' ha- when you're leveraging yourself on the efforts of other people. And so three months in, I quit my job and I had, I was selling cable television door to door in Spanish. I was literally knocking on doors, you know, using a Spanish sales script and selling cable TV door to door. And I was working like three nights a week, three hours a night. And I was making a thousand dollars a week as a 22 year old kid, which was insane. And, um, uh, and I quit that job thinking I'm going to be making 10 grand a month. I'm going to be driving this Mercedes wearing this Rolex, blah, blah, blah. I think I just had these like things going on in my head. And I was three months in. I did, I wasn't making Jack and I was six months in, I wasn't making anything. I was, you know, I was learning a lot and we had a great educational and training program, probably one of the most powerful training programs at the time in the network marketing profession. And even to this day, um, I got a lot of great entrepreneurial education, but I wasn't seeing the result. And ultimately I ended up uh, after right, right around year two, I ran out of money and I had creditors chasing me and i was you know i was like retailing product just so i could buy top ramen and barely pay for my rent and <laughs> i did i was just kind of like scratching for it and i finally just kind of got behind and my family owned a radio station in northern california and i um you know packed up the apartment uh, towed my car up there uh, moved in with my parents and Uh, took a job at their radio station, cut up all my credit cards, and went through consumer credit counseling to pay back that debt. And and, uh, you know, and they let me live under their roof. But it was crazy because I remember going to that first sales meeting as an AE, and um, all the all the account executives were frowning at me, and because I was the owner's son, they're oh yeah, they're gonna steal all, you know, they're gonna give accounts to this this guy, and like, or he's gonna be the lazy owner's kid that sits around and with his feet up on the desk and doesn't do anything. And I came in and you know, just focused and hunkered down. and went to work and within 12 months, 12, 14 months, I was the number two earning account executive in that market with a not very well rated radio station at the time. And, um, and I, you know, I, I really kind of owe it to the, on the early education I had in network marketing and just the, the work ethic and the, you know, taking ownership in what you do. Um, but it was funny because within like two months, uh, I was like, oh my God, I got to find another network marketing business. I can't, there's no way I can, I can't, I can't live in this environment because even though I wasn't making money, uh, just the idea of freedom, the idea of choices that entrepreneurship provided me, um, even without the money, um, even those running and running around and scrambling, just the, the, the idea of it was so fascinating to me that when I got into this employed work environment and just the politics and the the stuff that was going on, I was like, Ooh, I got to find something where there's this, you know, people that are thinking super big and, you know, thinking about going for the stars and it just, there just wasn't that group there. And so uh, within three months, I found another business. Uh, that's actually an interesting story because uh, when I found that, I actually found two companies um, and one, one company is, you know, built two and a half billion dollar a year company today. The other one is pretty much non-existent, but the I had one guy in the two and a half billion, now two and a half billion dollar, billion dollar year company came to me and I said, listen, I got a couple of years of network marketing experience. So I said, bring me what you got. I wanna see what this is. So I met him at a golf course and he, and I walked into this boardroom and there was like all these products and all these brochures and all these sales, and all this material. Like the whole table was filled with stuff and it totally overwhelmed me. And then I had this little Asian lady, Yuri, who <laughs> came walking in to meet me at a coffee shop at this other company. And she came in with this little thing called business in a box and she just it was super simple she kept it easy to understand and what's interesting is i joined that company and the reason i joined that company is because the way she did the presentation was was keeping it simple and Even someone with a lot of experience, you know, you can overwhelm them. So I ended up going with that smaller company. I spent a number of years there, but kind of a lesson there in terms of people giving presentations, simpler is better.
0: You make a great point about from going from network marketing to a traditional business sometimes is very difficult. I know personally for me, I got started in direct sales when I was 20 and had immediate success. Things were absolutely insane. Things happened with Vima, found myself back at a typical nine to five working, selling media sales stuff. Um, and though I, I enjoyed you know the place I worked with, I, I liked the coworkers. There just isn't that energy that you find in network marketing. You know, I always like to say if you were to take a rock and just throw it into a crowd of network marketers, you have like a ninety nine percent chance you're going to encounter someone super freaking nice, friendly, happy, positive, and just all about following their dreams. And that is an addicting. Thing to be around. And it's interesting for a lot of traditional businesses, especially uh, Ryan Williams, who was recently on the, on the podcast, spoke about culture and how important culture is to a sales organization. You know, the best sales organizations in network marketing have the most astounding cultures. Everyone's going to the events. Everyone's stoked to be on the team. They feel like they're a part of something. Same thing with a sales organization, whether you're selling, you know, um, st- st- uh, any sort of software or just hardware, whatever it is. So building that culture is so freaking important. But you talked about college and some of the stuff with I'm really curious on what your position on education is. Obviously, there's the issue with a lot of people encountering huge student loan debts going to school paying astronomical amounts of money. Um, what's your philosophy just on education in general, whether it relates to college or whether it relates to to post college?
1: Well, that's an interesting question. Nobody has ever asked me that. I'm look, if I look back at college, what what am I using today in the real world from college? Am I using ancient history? Am I using calculus? Am I using algebra? No, I'm using none of that. And, but at the same time, I got a 12 and a 14 year old and, you know, they've both got college funds and I'm certainly going to encourage them to go to college. I think, um, at that age, you know, between 18 and 22, there's a lot of, still a lot of social development that's going on. I think uh, it kind of prepares people, y- younger adults for, um, you know, what it is like in the real world. Plus, I mean, co- I mean college is honestly, is a lot of fun as well. So I, I'm a big supporter of formal education, um, but at the same time, you know, well, Jim Rohn has a quote, formal education will make you a living, self-education will make you a fortune. And, uh, you know, as far as the post-education or education outside of um you know typical universities and such i think it's really important that you know people realize there's a lot of great information out there that you can access through whoever it is you know guys like me that teach and train about entrepreneurship or anyone else for that matter that can really help you to understand how to succeed in you know the quote real world on a (laughs) on a larger on a larger scale so i'm super supportive of uh you know if you look at you know maslow's hierarchy of needs i mean we're all as human beings Seeking to uh, self-actualize to grow. I mean, we're always growing and developing. And if you're not growing and developing, if you're not doing something to develop you, you're essentially sliding backwards because the universe is always in motion.
0: Love that, yeah. And in, in terms of being a trainer and seeing so many different personalities come through, doing one-on-one coaching and all these things, what do you think are like maybe like the top three potential qualities that that might separate a Decent average trainer from an absolutely phenomenal trainer.
1: Honestly, I think probably number one would be real world experience and not what you're teaching. Uh, the ability to re- really relate and empathize with what people are actually dealing with and and providing that understanding how to provide solutions and what um, they're currently experiencing. It's funny because there's a lot of people that you know, want to be a trainer. And they've never like, let's say network marketing training, there's all these people today that are coming out as network marketing coaches and trainers, and they've never made a freaking dime. And, you know, fine, that's cool for you that you want to do that. Um, but it's like, you don't even know what people are going through. You never even made any money. Not that somebody who hasn't made any money can't do it. Because like I hate that phrase, those who can't do teach, because that's, a, that's just total bullshit. So somebody who says that is, You know, um, I mean, there's, there's like that when somebody, when I hear that it pisses me off because you're insulting me, you're saying, oh, because I'm teaching, uh, I can't do, I'm like, well, let's go, bro. Let's go one-to-one. I'll kick your butt in recruiting and prospecting. If you're telling me that I can't do it, I mean, I'm not in the position to do it because I made the decision to, to go this direction. But I think, you know, having experience in that, what you're teaching, having successful experience in it is, is a good thing. Now there are some, like, for example, coaches, football coaches and other, you know, athletic coaches that were good players, but they're better coaches, but they do fully understand the game. And, and most of the coach, no, there's no coach that came into football, being a football coach that, you know, read a book on football one day and decided they, they played football throughout their life. Maybe they were not, uh, the number one player, but many of they, they have a very good understanding of the game and can relate. So I think that is probably one of the most important attributes of somebody. And the other thing is funny, because when people want to do it, they don't have any idea, uh, most of them don't have any idea what's really involved in, in running, for example, doing what I do, speaking, training, traveling around the world. They see the, the, the stage for the 90 minutes and they go, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. But they don't really understand all the other stuff, because that... That's that ninety minutes on stage is like three percent of the actual stuff that I might do. It's all of the other work that's that goes on in between. It's a tremendous amount of work. Um, I think that is is like I said, number one is having experience that with your teaching. I don't know if I can even come up with three, but two um, would be, you know, being a a, a kind hearted uh soul that truly wants to help people that, sure. you know, why are you in it? Are you in it to make a buck because you think this is a great way to make money? Or are you in this because you truly want to help people? And there are people that are in it just to make a buck and it shows. And so uh, I think if you really care about people and you really have a passion for wanting to help people break through some of their stuff, then you could be very successful in whatever it is that you would be teaching or training on. Um, and I don't know if I can come up with a third, but those are the two first two that uh, that come to mind.
0: Cool, dude, those are awesome. Yeah, the second one is huge. I mean, showing that you care about someone is is just the the make or break moment, right? Like someone has to. You have to define your value and no matter what you define your value as, A, you got to show that value, but B, you got to show that you care because people care so much that you care, that you're connected with them, that you understand them. So bravo on, on those points. But so you're a self-defined outdoorsman. What What's the what's the biggest out, outdoorsy things you're doing on a typical basis? Mm, right now I'm skiing a few
1: days a week because it's 30 minutes from my house and it's the middle of winter. So love to ski all winter long i mean that's my number one activity it's my morning workout i typically don't go to the gym as much during the winter because you know it's so close i can go up to the mountain get two hour two or three hours of skiing and then be back to the office by 11 30 or 12
0: that's uh, awesome
1: I, yeah it's fun man i mean I've, I've been skiing for over 40 years so it's like i was just it's just what i it's one of the things that i do um Rest of the year, I do a lot of fly fishing and other types of fishing and mountain biking and hiking and uh, backpacking and camping out in the woods and go and play. I love going out and just, in fact, I'm getting ready to do a winter camping trip. We're going to take our skis and skin out to this lake, uh, which is about three miles from the end of the road and just take our stuff and build ourselves. Like, you know, I mean, it's literally like six feet of snow all around and do a winter camp out. That should be
0: kind of interesting. So do you like rip tricks on like skis? Are you ripping backflips and stuff?
1: No, I mean, I'm I'm gonna be 52 tomorrow. So I do keep uh, I ski hard. I mean, I ski, honestly, probably 95% of the people on the mountain I'm passing speed wise. In fact, I was tracked the other day at 63 miles an hour on my on my race skis. That's pretty fast on skis. That's probably my upper limit. But I ski very, very aggressively. And I just for me to, to ski slowly and in a laid back, I just can't do it. I, I need speed on skis. Um, I love to go out in the trees and powder and, and I'll hit some of the train. I like my, uh, 14 year old, actually, both my kids are into the train park, but my 14 year old is way into it. And I'll hit some of the tabletops that are, you know, pretty hefty tabletops, but I won't throw any kind of inverted anything. I'll just, you know, catch 10, 20, 30 feet of air and land on the transition and kind of cruise through it. But, uh, yeah. I used to throw helicopters back. That was the cool thing back in the day, you know, helicopters and daffies and back scratchers. Nobody does that stuff anymore. Now they're doing these inverted bat landing backwards, upside down, crazy stuff. I mean, it's amazing what these kids are doing today. But they also got a you know, different kind of technology of skis than we had back in back in the mid
0: seventies. For sure. Yeah. I need to get out there. I've I've skied pretty much my whole life too. I need to get back into it and it's interesting to always kind of look at people and, and think about how their priorities have changed over the years. You know, looking back when you're that 22 year old college kid, like, you know, the world at your, in your palms thinking you're unstoppable. And, and then looking back, you know, with tomorrow being your, your next birthday, how have your priorities changed in terms of like, what's important to you these days? Like, how, like what, what kind of, uh, are you focusing on making sure you fill these certain buckets to make you feel like every day has been a fulfilled day for you?
1: Uh, first thing that comes to mind is my kids. Uh, when you don't have kids, that's obviously not a priority. We, we get to focus only on ourselves, which is kind of a fun part of life. And uh, But for me, it's like raising two uh, upstanding citizens, right? So my focus is spending time with those guys that are 12 and 14 So to me, that's the number one priority. My family is number one, my wife, my kids, um, you know, taking care of them. I think, uh, you know, when you're the breadwinner in the household, if you will, like you want to do the best to, you know, provide for your family. That's what we do as adults. Like we want to provide for ourselves, provide a, a roof over their heads and good education and good food and good experiences and, you know, quality time. So for me, that's probably the most important thing, um. And, you know, I got a lot of friends. I love hanging out and traveling and doing other things that uh, – it's funny to me because people people get – like, life's too short not to go play, man. You got to get out and have some fun. Like, I got these guys. I'm like, oh, I wish I could, but dot, dot, dot. I'm like, bro. Just do it. Like, what do you mean? Are you going to, like, just come out and play? You never play anymore. It's like, you're like, what is that? All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. It's like, dude, you got to get out and do something and enjoy life. Like, what was the last time you went skiing? What was the last time you went fishing with me, man? Take a break, take a vacation day, come on out and play. And then I get some of my friends that are kind of in their work grind and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you got me to come out here. I I forgot how fun this was. I'm like, yeah, I know. Life (laughs) is meant to be fun. So. I'm all about having a good time, and and uh, you know I'm very, like I said, very very family focused.
0: Right. Is there something that like you're low key that you you know you kind of suck at, and you just wish you were better at something that's like one one attribute of yourself that you wish you could improve on?
1: I mean, there's probably a number of things, but that that, that thing that's back here, my uh, well, the people on that are not hearing this on or not seeing the video, my guitar. If I spent more time on that, I would probably be a lot better. at. I mean, I can play decent guitar, but, uh, you, you, the other part is you can't get good at the thing that you never do. Right. So if it's just sitting there, I don't put my hands on a guitar. I'm never going to get good at it. I actually stopped playing that thing for, I just, it sat in my office for like two years and I never even hardly touched it. And now I just make it a point to, you know, at least, at least once a week, it should be daily for, you know, 30 or 40 minutes, but at least once a week I'll pick it up and, you know, get my hands on that thing. But it's just, it's beautiful. I love music and, and to be able to play any instrument, I play the didgeridoo a little bit. That's something not many not many people know. I, I, I uh, my last trip to Australia, I got this really amazing uh real not one of those tourist didgeridoos and it's it's pretty crazy what you can Did do Did you say with one a didgeridoo?
0: didgeridoo? What? Yeah. yeah. What is that?
1: <laughs> oh, you don't know what a didgeridoo
0: is? Oh, <laughs> it sounds hilarious though. Yeah.
1: Oh, a didgeridoo is, uh, there goes my office line while we're while we're chatting. A didgeridoo is, it's a eucalyptus uh, tree or eucalyptus branch that's been hollowed out by termites. And it's an ancient uh, instrument that the Aborigines play in Australia. And it has a really amazing sound. So, it's pretty cool.
0: Hell yeah, dude. I, I think music is the number one thing that everyone should try to attempt. Me being a hypocrite at that, I mean, when I was younger, I played cello uh, up till sixth grade and I rocked it and I loved it. And I think that people that enjoy an instrument just have so much more passion and happiness in life that they can just self-express. Uh, with that said, I am not doing that and I I would like to one day. But, uh, you know, people talk about money-making activities. It's, it's very important. You know, what are you doing on a daily basis? Uh, Rob Sperry calls it his minimums. What are your minimums that you're going to accomplish no matter what it is? what would you consider to be like your daily method of operations? I know you talked about, you know, going out and getting some outdoorsy stuff in in the morning, but what are you doing afterwards? What are you doing to move the needle to book more speaking engagements, to increase your ROI? Uh, could you kind of talk us through that?
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things that I do definitely is I'm constantly producing content that's the, the, the creation of content is something that gets eyeballs and ears on, on you. So that as in, in my line of work as a speaker and a trainer, uh, putting out videos, putting out audio, putting out free resources that people can access is something that I do very regularly. And so, uh, pretty much every day, there's some something that's going out through the different channels that I have. Uh, but again, to some extent, that's a, a hurry up and wait kind of situation. Like even like even with people today with social media on Facebook and they're building their network marketing business on Facebook and putting up creative posts and things that generate curiosity while those may generate revenue. uh, You know, it's not an instant thing. So to me, honestly, every day I'm picking up the phone and I'm calling people. And like there's, I don't, I don't do a day in my office without picking up the phone, engaging people in conversation and drumming up new business. I still do it every day. So I essentially do the same thing today as a speaker and trainer that I was doing in the field as a network marketing distributor. The only difference is I'm talking to company owners and high level distributors in different companies. So, uh, you know, and I think for anybody in network marketing or anybody in, uh, direct sales or anybody even in traditional selling, you know, the numbers that you're putting on the board every day matter. Like if you want to get yourself out of a slump or a doldrum, the only way to do that is to prospect and recruit and sell your way out of it. So, uh, that, uh, it's funny because you asked that question, you know, do you, you're anybody, if you're in sales, if you're in marketing, if, or if you're in sales, you're in direct marketing, direct sales, network marketing, the number one activity is drumming up new business. You got to go put customers in, in on your products and services and put new distributors in you can't just be pointing at your distributors and say, go, go put some more people in while I'm sitting on my butt collecting a check. That's not leading by example. And the funny thing is people come to me all the time complaining, Oh, you know, Todd, can you help a brother out you now? I'm not doing very good. My business is suffering. And the first, the first thing I always ask is let me ask you this question. How many people have you presented your business to in the last 90 days? Just, well, uh, mm, yeah, mm, uh, not enough. So they already know the answer to the question. But they're coming to me like, oh, woe is me. Is there, what's hot to trot out there? What's the what's the cool? They're like trying to see if they can go get into a new deal and sit on their butt in the new deal and lie to themselves in the new deal when they're already lying to themselves in the deal that they're in. And it's so funny because they get mad at the results that they're not creating from the work that they never did. And it's commonplace in traditional sales and in network marketing. So anytime that somebody comes to me complaining, moaning that something's not going well, I go straight to that first question. How many people have you talked to in the last 90 days about your deal? And then we very quickly realize they're really not in the business. So, so it kind of makes me mad because that kind of gives network marketing a bad rap because, you know, oh, the the failure rate in network marketing. I'm like, it's not the failure rate. They're not even doing the work. The people that do the work in anything, network marketing or anything else for that matter, they will get results. Some faster than others. But if you do the work, and most people know what the work is. Unfortunately, many of them don't do it because they're scared. They're afraid of being judged. They're afraid of whatever. They're afraid of something. Well, what are they going to think of me? Are they going to think, they're not going to be my friend anymore because I am I brought a business to them? I mean, hell, if the person's not going to be your friend anymore because you brought a deal to them, they're not your friend anyhow.
0: True change. So,
1: so I mean, like as far as DMO, I mean— Uh, My my, without going into the full DMO, I mean, every day you should be doing revenue producing activities is what stop yourself in the middle of the day. Ask yourself a question. Is what I'm doing right now making me money? Yes or no? No. Then stop doing it and do something that is.
0: Yeah. And it's like when you're talking to all these big time. Uh, company leaders and CEOs. First of all, have you ever considered starting your own deal, like starting your own company inside this space or traditional?
1: Well, I am launching a new company, not a network marketing business. In fact, we're about ready to open the doors here in the next uh, few days. So, um, but yeah, no, I have. Uh, I, I look, I'm in the position as a speaker. I can't. I, I don't want to say I can't. I can do whatever the hell I want to do, but I'm not going to do it. I've spent 15 years speaking, training in this profession, and if I came out and started a network marketing business. Uh, you know, I probably have some people that didn't like me so much. I kind of like having friends. I mean, think about it. You put me in front of your audience and this per- person, I got all these people that trust me, that put me in front of their their entire organizations to teach and train them. And when you're on stage, you're, you have a very strong authority position. And then if all of a sudden I come out announcing that I'm launching a network marketing business, I mean, those people would want to literally come over to my house and stab me. Right. So. No, I've never considered starting a network marketing business, but I certainly have, um, you know, obviously considered businesses outside of network marketing. And my business partner and I are just about to get that thing launched. Nice. I'm
0: sure you're not allowed to say anything about that right now. No, I'm not. Okay, cool. Well, (laughs) how, how do you vet companies that you choose to train for? Are you... An open book? Are there certain qualifying questions you even ask companies before you allow them to allow you to be a trainer?
1: I look, uh, my deal is to serve the independent distributors, not the company. When I look at it, I mean, if you're because here, what am I doing? If you bring me in as a speaker or a trainer, who am I teaching? I'm teaching the distributors in the company, I'm not teaching your corporate staff. So, my objective is to serve the distributor force and helping them figure out and understand what it takes to be successful in this business. So, uh, you know, there have been a number of companies that have come to me that I ha- have opted not to speak for because you know, I'm looking, I'm like, dude, you're straight up scam. Um, not many of them, but you know, there's, um, there's definitely some companies not to be mentioned that have come to me over the years. Most of them are actually out of business now that have asked me to speak for them and they're just not even a real legitimate deal. So, honestly like if if i think you're a scam if i don't think you're doing things uh ethically and morally right then i'm going to decline speaking for you but if you're you know uh i am mean, i'll speak for a lot of i've spoken for all sorts of different products and services young companies older companies brand new companies startups people that have been in business for 20 30 years um, but again it's it's all about you know serving the needs of those that are in the audience wanting to figure out how to be successful in network marketing
0: yeah, and you weren't always a phenomenal speaker. You know, you've had to go up and work your way up and, and get to that that point. Is there anything that you'd recommend to put someone on the fast track to becoming a phenomenal speaker?
1: Yeah, I think uh, start speaking would be good. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's uh, you get a you know any any and it doesn't have to be on the platform. It can be on a virtual platform. It could be uh, speaking on conference calls, webinars, Zooms. Uh, Giving your testimonial at uh, an event, uh, giving a five-minute share at uh, a corporate event or Super Saturday or anything else for that matter, getting some kind of either real or virtual stage time, and then the other thing is you know designing some kind of talk, right? So it doesn't have to be long. It could be okay if I was going to get up and and share my experience and the successful experience that I've had in let's say, a 20-minute segment designing a simple 20-minute talk, that can be daunting for a brand new person because obviously people fear public speaking more than they do. I've said that they fear public speaking more than death. I don't know if that's necessarily true. You'd really rather die than stand up and talk to people? I mean, come on, bro. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I I don't even know where uh, that—most people have heard that. I don't even know where that is. I have to look at where the origination of that uh, uh, quote comes from. But— I I don't know. There's there's something that when, when you're designing a presentation that you, instead of looking at it, for example, like a 20 minute presentation, first of all, don't go talk about something that you don't know anything about. So like somebody said, hey, can you talk about mechanical engineering at our event? I'm like, no, you can't. I'm like, no, I don't know anything about mechanical engineering. Yeah, but you can make something up. I'm like, I don't have any comfort level in talking about mechanical engineering, anything. You want me to talk about anything about network marketing? Anything about network marketing. I don't care what it is. I can talk about it. Uh, but something totally outside of your scope is probably not smart. So if you, if you've got something that you're super passionate about, even outside of business, like what's your number one passion or interest that drives you? What are you into outside of business or work? Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's, uh, raising, you know, great children. Maybe it's how to have a great marriage. Maybe it's, I I really love chess. I really love knitting. I really love, you know, vegan eating, whatever it might be. You know, you could, you could create a talk around, something that you love. And it's easy to talk about something that you love. Now, designing a little presentation or designing a little talk, I think you're going to need to think about it, is take whatever time frame, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. If you look at that time frame, oh my gosh, 30 minutes, I got to talk for 30 minutes about something. No, you don't. What you do is you break it up into chunks. So you got five minutes as your intro and how you're starting the presentation. You've got maybe four points that are each five minutes 0.1, 0.2, 0.3, 0.4, well, 0.1, 0.2, 0.3, 0.4, chunk, 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 and then you got your clothes. So when you look at a presentation in that manner, rather than one big 30-minute presentation and you divide it into small usable bite-sized chunks, it becomes easy to put a presentation together. And then I think the other part of it is practicing what you're doing. Um, you know, like I use, I have a hundreds of different slide decks for different presentations and I may the the week prior uh, have spoken using that slide deck and then the the very next week I'm using the exact same slide deck for another another company and but in the hotel room in the morning after I get dressed I flip open my laptop I'm looking at the presentation the slides that I created that I know that I know exactly what's on the slides and I will go through the presentation even though if I may have delivered that presentation 20 times over because practice is what makes you better. So that's something that you you need to be thinking about. If you want to start presenting as, you know, present practice, think about something that you can uh, easily talk about, and start talking about it.
0: Right, yeah. Facebook Live's another great method for that. I love when there's, uh, John and Nadia, they do that this challenge, the 30-day challenge, where you have to basically go on Facebook Live every single day for 30 days and just talk. Talk about something you're passionate about. Talk about something that's value-based. And it really unlocks people's abilities just to say, wow, holy crap, like, I can do this. People are so stuck in their own heads thinking, Oh my God, what are people going to think about me? When reality, I think a lot of people are thinking about themselves more than they're thinking about you. So it's like, think about how you can offer value for anyone listening to this podcast. Think about how you can express yourself. And who knows, you might find a golden nugget that you are just niched in that you could build a whole brand around. So fearless networking. Have you, are you a born like certified? You've been writing your whole life or was that a challenge getting a book out?
1: Yeah, you know it's funny you ask that because when I wrote that book, uh, I've it's so funny as a speaker. Oh, you, you got to write a book, right? You, you, and I'm like, Wr- write a book. I don't. Why do I need to write a book for? I produced like 15 different audio training programs, producing. Why do I need to write a book? Well, you're not really, a, you know, you're not really a speaker if you don't have a book. I said that's BS, you know. But finally, I decided like, okay, I'd, so I have some ideas in my head about writing a book, and so I would sit down to write this book. And I would like go into paralysis, sweat mode. And I just would I like literally I probably started that book like 20 times. And and I had some level of clarity what I was with what I was doing. And there's still that book inside of me. It hasn't come out yet. But I ended up having a guy call me up and he said, hey, can you do a training for me on overcoming objections and rapport building? I'm like, oh, yeah, easy. So I go, when do you need it? He goes, maybe a couple of weeks. I'm like, okay, fine. And it's a it's a big uh, it's a company that produces training materials for the network marketing profession. They represent like most of the companies out there. And I just got on my laptop and just started. T- 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 I'm like typing, typing, typing. I'm like, okay, overcoming objections. Okay, little, 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 whole rapport building. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should talk about inviting a little bit. If I'm if I'm doing that, okay. Maybe I should talk about presenting. No, 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 no. Well, if I'd... I I got to put follow up in there. No, 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 no. Uh, if I do follow up, I got to do closing. <GPA>. No, 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 no. And then six days later, the book was done. And it's so funny because, I mean, it's not a big book. Uh, It was originally going to be – this thing was going to be a booklet and uh, maybe a couple of audio CDs. But, you know, it's what is it, 100 – it's not even that many pages. like 109 pages or something. But it's like pure content from page one to the very last page. So there's not a lot of stories in there. There's not a lot – there's no fluff in there, to be honest with you. There's literally no fluff. Maybe my next book will have other – stories. I don't don't like fluff anyhow, but maybe anytime you like, I like stories because stories are a great way of teaching um, lessons, but there's like no stories whatsoever. It's just, okay, how to invite, how to overcome objections, how to close, how to build rapport, how to be a better presenter, how to do simple invites. And we've sold over 200,000 copies of this book, which is crazy. Uh, And like, I didn't, I had no idea
0: idea that it was going to take off like that,
1: but it's been, it's
0: been awesome. Was there certain things that promoted the book really well? Like any strategies that you learned that you wish you could have known earlier that would have promoted it even faster? Or is there like a, maybe Facebook ads or Amazon or like just word of mouth? Like what do you think sold the book the most? Well, I mean, we never even got it on Amazon until this
1: last year. And the only thing that's on Amazon still is the Kindle version. We don't even have the physical version on Amazon. We sold it. The whole, the whole process has been sold. Um, really the, I have have a network marketing company that buys a lot of my books and puts it in their distributor kits. But uh, all the books that we've sold have been through my, you know, basically my free book funnel. They can get the book for free, they pay shipping and handling, and we'll shoot it out to them. And that's really where almost 100% of the book sales have come from outside of any other like you know bulk kind of purchasing so uh and most of it was through my audience I didn't go grab uh, influencers and say get behind my book that would be one thing that uh if I did it again uh, I would go to some of the major influencers and say listen I'm launching this big book I just didn't I didn't do it and I've got a lot of friends that if I went up, went out and asked, Hey, would you get behind promoting this book? I want to send you an advanced copy. I could have gotten, you know, a hundred or so major influencers to help spread the word about the book. But literally all of the book sales that we've made has been a result of my own in-house marketing efforts.
0: That's cool. Get it in the hands of the people, have them read it, and then just naturally let it spread. That's very awesome. And congratulations for you being so successful on engaging that way. But it's funny. I feel like instead of your your motto, if I were to wrap you up in in four words, instead of straight shot, no chase, it's straight shot, no fluff. That's your stuff. So I'll take uh, the tequila on the rocks, please. But would you, uh, if you could go back in time, and this is a signature thing I love to to really ask, and it kind of takes a little looking inwards, and you could have whispered into the the young Todd Falcone, say at 21 years old, right out of school. And you're and you could have saved yourself a a a lot of time and money. And it can't be I was going to I would have invested in Bitcoin, right? Like if you (laughs) what would be say one, two or three things that you would have said to yourself that would have just really helped move you move the needle for you throughout your life? (sighs) I would probably would have said to myself,
1: hey, bro, you're worth it. You can do this. You don't have to be all caught up in your head and worried about what other people think about you. Just do you just take take, you know, just take the step. Keep keep charging. Stop being all up in your head about what was me or am I worth it or what's wrong with me? I mean, because I struggled my first couple of years and and I was operating from a position of desperation. And even the, I would even said to myself, hey, look, yeah, you don't have any money right now, but stop acting like you don't have any money because nobody follows somebody with a broke mentality. And you're 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 putting that out into the marketplace and it's not serving you. Um, and one other thing I would say is, bro, lighten up. I mean, this is a journey. Enjoy the journey. Have fun. You're like a goofball all the time. And then you do this business thing and you're like too serious, man. And and my first couple of years, I was so, I was serious. I'm always been, I'm serious, man. There's no question. I'm serious. But at the same time, I'm a flat jokester and I love goof goofing off and making people laugh. Like when you see me live, it's half comedy show and half training and when my my first couple of years of being being in network marketing, I was just yeah, I was just grinding. It's was too serious, and nobody wants to be around somebody that's not having fun. People think about who you like hanging out with. You like hanging out with people that are stern and straight faced, and eh. you want to be around people that are lighthearted and having a good time and enjoying life and laughing and giggling. And there's endorphins that are released when you're when we're having you know good happy experiences in our life. So. Yeah, I think the the key is, um, you know, lightening up, having a good time, enjoying the journey. You are good enough and just keep charging.
0: Amen. And lastly, Todd, for that person right now, that's maybe where they're maybe working some sort of nine to five job, maybe doing something that they love or something that they hate or um, something that they might be making a lot of money in making, you know, two, three hundred thousand dollars a year with an incredible lifestyle. Um, notoriety and everything or they're making like so little money and they're just trapped in a cubicle and they're just like like what do I do like I don't know what to do but in the back of their mind they're itching to start some sort of venture maybe start their own business maybe join a company maybe just get out there and, and build a brand or start a video blog or something but something's holding them back they're scared they don't know what to do they don't there's too many unwritten see they have bills to pay you know what would you say to that person that's like right on the edge of doing something that could potentially you know, change their life and bring them a lot of passion and joy or bankrupt them. <laughs> Jump.
1: Jump. Jump. You're at the edge. Jump. Take the leap. Take the first step. Take the step, man. If you're thinking about doing something, stop thinking and start doing. Take
0: that step. Amen. Perfect. Well said. So, Todd, I appreciate talking with you, man. You're you're a straight shooter. Uh would love to go skiing and or fishing, especially fly fishing. My dad started this um organization he's a big fisherman um called spay nation uh do you know oh yeah big
1: uh, big spay rods i know what they are absolutely
0: yeah so spay nation is an event thrown once a year where like 800 to a thousand of the most ruggedy old fishermen all meet up and they just do like a whole day of spay fishing training and then everyone just gets real effed up together at at night and has a good time so (laughs) all about salmon and steelhead conservation would love to get to fish with you one day that's on my bucket list
1: yeah, likewise. That'd be fun. Let's do it.
0: All right, man. And how can people follow you and follow the journey if they want more Todd Falcone?
1: They can find me on my website, ToddFalcone.com, or they can find my business page on Facebook, which is uh, the Fearless Todd Falcone, the Fearless Networker. Either one. Beautiful. Well, Todd, it's been real. Thank you, Ian. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank
0: you for listening to another episode of Len Jones Party of Two. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and subscribe to stay up to date on our new episodes. And remember, hope is not a strategy. Keep making moves. Till next time. Peace.